Well, I want to start tonight by testing your soundtrack knowledge, and I'm going to play a little bit of a song and see if you can guess what movie is associated with it. You with me? Here we go. Okay. First one. Did you get it? What was it? Very good. There's some guys I saw that had it real fast. Titanic, good job. There's some of you. That's that's tricky. That's an emotional movie for you. Anybody remember where you were when you were watching that for the first time? I was a senior in high school. This is circa 1997. And I was on a date, and that date did not work out. And we're watching that movie, Harkins Theater. I remember, like, the emotional story, awesome, well-told story. Really good movie. All right, next film. What is it? Star Wars. I heard there was kind of like a Star Wars sound there. All right, well, truth be told, I'm not the biggest sci-fi person This was chosen for me. I wanted the movie Braveheart to be the movie that I chose, but I went and I tested it out with some young men that are in their 20s, and I let them listen to a part of the soundtrack. Uh, it doesn't have a very memorable soundtrack, but so I just l- let them listen to it for a second, and they, they pause and they say, got it. That, that movie is, um, it was like it's animated, or is it Smurfs? I said, what? What did you just say? They said, Smurfs. No, no, it's not Smurfs. It's Avatar. I said, okay. Have you seen? Have you seen? It's Braveheart, boys. They're like, oh, wait a minute. Who's in that movie? Who's in that movie? Fired them all on the spot. Unbelievable. Okay, last one. Hmm. What is it? Rocky. Yes. Yeah, I'm seeing it. I'm, I'm feeling the energy in there. I legitimately feel like at some point in all of our weekend services, I the Tiger should be there. That's from Rocky. Do you know which Rocky it's from? Rocky three. That's some Rocky uh, experts out there. This film and this uh, franchise for my upbringing was huge. I remember, if you remember, I remember sitting um, in my living room and we'd watch it, it was on TV. Four was my favorite and the best one. And I remember watching the Rocky franchise with my dad, eating Taco Bell on Saturdays, being just inspired by this movie. I just really liked the stories. Well, we have these thoughts running in the background of our minds and these thoughts cue what we think They cue how we feel, and at times even cue what we do. And what these are are soundtracks. But the problem exists when these soundtracks are broken, meaning that they're untrue, unhelpful, and unkind. Last week we began this series, and Ashley kicked it off, and he gave us some homework if you were here. He says, I want you to go home and do a thought audit. Remember that? I want you to go home and do a thought audit. So I went home, I grabbed a book, and I started just writing down the broken soundtracks I have in my mind. And I don't know if you did this, hated the, uh, the exercise. Hated it. It's tough to look at all these soundtracks. It took me about two minutes to come up with 20. And I didn't even know I believed all of them. And there they were right in front of me. 
tough exercise. And so I go through these, and I just started to narrow down, like, okay, what are the ones that are the most pervasive, and I have two that I think have been around in my life a really long time. The first one is that God is disappointed in me. God is disappointed in me, and uh, this would manifest itself sometimes in the morning. I'd wake up, and I'd feel like sometime over the course of when I was sleeping, my stock with God fell. Like, I was, it was a bull market yesterday, it's a bear market today, and I don't know what I did. Like, somewhere in there, I just don't feel connected or loved or cared for, and then I just have to approach the day trying to get that right, trying to fix that problem. And by default, then I start, like, trying to do good things, and I know that's not right. And I know these, these beliefs, I know this thought is, is not true, but here's where soundtracks are really tricky is that sometimes uh, when you say them out loud, they sound ridiculous, but we believe them. And what's underneath that soundtrack for me, there's that one, but what's connected with that one is, man, how could you believe that? Are you stupid? Like you work, you work at a church and you have that kind of theology and you believe something like that and you're in ministry, Oof, that's pretty embarrassing. And you're going to tell a bunch of people that, and they're going to start judging you, and yeah, good luck. Second and really big soundtrack for me that's broken is um, essentially I don't have what it takes to, to make it. I don't have what it takes to make it. I'm going to fail everywhere in my life at some point in time in such a way that I'm not going to be able to rebound. Starting at home, my wife and I are raising two teenagers, and at some point in time, they're going to move out, you know. Eventually, they're going to get out of there. And then we're going to wonder, are they equipped and prepared and ready to go? And I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work out. And then the soundtrack under that soundtrack is, wait a minute, you, you work with kids and students occupationally? Like for the past 22 years of my life, all of my grown-up life, and exactly half of my life, I've been serving kids and students at this church, and you don't know how to lead at your household that well, prepare your kids? Should you be doing that job? Should you be leading that capacity? And then I feel like there's this moment where I'm going to show up at, at work one day, and they're going to bring me into some gigantic boardroom. There's a huge table that's like forever long, and a bunch of people, and there's smoke in the room, and They've got all these stacks of papers, just evidence proving that I can't cut it. I don't have what it takes. What about you? What would have been some of your soundtracks? Did you do any of that? Well, my guess is some of them would be the usual suspects. I'll never recover from my divorce. I'll always live in fear. I'm a loser. I'm a disappointment. I'll never be safe. I'll never succeed. I'll never get out of debt. This depression defines me. I'll never be happy. And I know some of us in here, I'm a terrible parent. These, these are some of mine too, mind you. And what's so interesting about these is that how many of them have that like absolutism on it. I think there's a, there's a the real concern for us that when you find yourself reading or thinking through a soundtrack, if there's an absolute cautious of that, that it's always and never. You know, last week, Ashley made this statement. He says, you can't defeat what you won't define. 
And one of the reasons why it's important for us to start digging into these soundtracks, these lies that we believe, is if you don't know about them, then they'll just live in the background. They'll just live on forever, and that causes a problem. And what happens when we allow these untrue, unhelpful, unkind beliefs to linger long enough? Have you ever had an earworm? You know what an earworm is? An earworm is that you have. But an earworm is a technical term for when a song gets stuck in your mind. I don't know why they call it that, but it kind of makes sense. Is if you've ever had a song stuck in your brain a little bit, and it's usually not a song you love, and it's just driving you nuts, and it feels like there's just something making its way through your mind, that's called an earworm. I was reading about this guy that had an earworm, a song on repeat in his mind for 30 years. 30 years of any song sounds like a nightmare. You're right. Could you imagine 30 years of Baby Shark? <laughs> Could you imagine a 30 years of Who Let the Dogs Out? 30 years of anything by Lady Gaga. I mean, that's, that's rough. That was personal for some of you right there. That hurt. But what's more catastrophic than just having a song stuck in your mind for 30 years is having a broken soundtrack that's stuck in your mind for 30 or 40 or 50 years. Her name was Kira, and, and if you just watch her on the soccer field, you'd say she's a winner. She's a striker and just always playing well. She also uh, succeeds in the classroom, and she ends up getting a scholarship to the college of her choosing, and she goes to college, she gets a job. About five years afterwards, she's sitting at her desk, and she's just stuck. She's paralyzed because she's thinking, what, what if I make a mistake? What if I fail, and she's never experienced real failure yet? And then there's this soundtrack that like floods her mind. I am nothing if I'm not perfect. And then she's paralyzed by perfection. And she begins to obsess about her appearance and she obsesses about her performance. Yeah, his name is Jared and while he was growing up, he knew that his dad did some drinking but he didn't know to the extent of the addiction his dad was. And so when he got to high school, his dad was a functional drinker during the day, he'd go to work and he'd come home at the end of the day and he'd, he'd have this choice to make. Is it my boy that he'd spend time with or the bottle? And his dad always chose the bottle. And so Jared started to develop this soundtrack based off of his lack of relationship with his dad. Essentially, it was that he's not worth being known. That's his soundtrack because I couldn't get to know the one person in my life, in my house that I should get to know. I guess I can't get to know anybody else. And then he just never let anybody else know him, kind of as a preventative maintenance or a preventative attack to keep people from hurting him. Her name was Teresa, and when she was 15, she got pregnant. And in Texas, in the 70s, in a really spiritual household, this was a problem. And so they sent her away to a home to, to carry this baby for about six out of the nine months because they didn't want to dishonor the family. And so she's at this house, strangers, she carries the baby. About a day before her 16th birthday, she has the baby and she's asked by her parents, demanded actually, to give the baby up for adoption. And so she gives the baby up for adoption 
a day after her sweet 16, her parents come and pick her up and they drive her home. She told me that when she was in the car driving home, she remembers hearing nothing, just silence. So for the next 50 or so years of her life, she lived in this constant state of shame and guilt. She had this soundtrack in her mind I owe God, and there is nothing I can do to repay him. Such a mistake. This was my mom, and every time I was around my mom, I would hear her soundtrack, the son she had and never met. You ever around people like that, you can kind of hear their soundtracks, they're so loud, and they don't even know about them? Well, what's at stake if we don't deal with our broken soundtracks? First, what's at stake is if we believe something long enough, or if we uh, think something long enough, we start believing it. That soundtrack goes in our mind, and you make a mistake, you are a mistake, you fail, you are a failure. That starts to become who you are, and it attaches to your identity. Secondly, if you believe a, a soundtrack long enough and it's broken, it changes actually how you physically live. They did this interesting study in NYU years ago, and they took two groups of college-age students. They have 18 to 22-year-olds, and they ask one group of students to read these words out loud and then afterwards to walk down the hall. And they observed them walking down the hall after they read these words. And then they grabbed another group of students. These words were just arbitrary and um, miscellaneous words. And then this other group of students, they gave them very specific words that were associated with being elderly. And so they chose words like Florida, forgetful, wrinkled, and bald, which I find offensive because bald is beautiful. And they watched then this group of students do the same thing the first ones did, and they walked down the hallway, and they noticed this that the group that was reading the words associated with the elderly walked slower. Why? This uh, is called an idiometer. It's basically a way of validating that what we think and what we hear changes how we live. We have to, we have to pay attention to the things we listen to, otherwise it impacts the way that we live. And lastly, if we don't address our broken soundtracks, the next generation will echo them. Have you ever observed a generational dysfunction? You ever observed family after family that seems to be stuck in some soundtrack? Some addiction, some brokenness, this, this, this constant theme. Sometimes it's from grandparents and great-grandparents and it just keeps going down. Have you ever seen something like that that takes place? Maybe you've been a part of that. Maybe some of you are thinking, that's my story. I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, we have to do something. We have to do something. We can't just let broken soundtracks reside. And so last week we talked about removing as the first step. You identify what that broken soundtrack is. Okay, that was the work that we've done. You identify what it is. You remove it, but you just can't stop there. You've got to go beyond removing it. The reason why you have to go beyond that is because at some point in time, they will come back. They, they, they will, or new ones will fill it, and those will also be broken. You have to do something about it. So we're going to look together at what to do, starting in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. 
Grab, grab your Bible, grab your Bible out, give you a second to get there. Ephesians chapter 4, and I give you some color of what's happening. Uh, written by Paul, he's in prison, modern day Turkey. He's giving the Christians that are in this community, the churches that are around there, he's giving them some direction because what's going on in culture is uh, there's all kinds of pagan thought, all kinds of crazy new ideologies, um, atheism and agnosticism and polytheism and cultic practices. And Christians and Christianity was new. And so they were trying to follow Jesus. These are Jesus followers that he's talking to. And at the same time, there's all of these pervasive thoughts that are coming in, and they're confusing them. And they're contradicting with truth, but they're all of a sudden merging it into who they are and what they're doing too. It's a practice called syncretism. And so all of a sudden, they're looking kind of like what's going on in the culture around them, very relevant to what goes on today. And Paul gives some direction on what to do. So for Christians, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Starting in verse 17, he says, I tell you this and insist insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, those who don't subscribe to Jesus, that is. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. There are three really key phrases in there that have to do with mindset. Look back at it. Futility of their thinking, darkened in their understanding, and separated because of ignorance. All tied into mindset. They were listening to, these Christians were listening to the broken soundtracks from culture. And they were having a hard time differentiating from that and what they're supposed to be following. And so Paul then says this to them in verse 20. That, however, Christians is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We were created to be like God. God's designed us to be like him, but there's something getting in the way of that. And he's saying, listen, this is what we do. We take off the old and we put on new. We take off the old mentality and we put on a new mentality. So if last week we talked about removing a broken soundtrack, what are we doing this week? We're replacing those broken soundtracks. How do we do that? Some of you, this is going to blow your mind. There was a time in history when you wanted to listen to music and it didn't come through the World Wide Web, didn't exist yet, and you had to drive somewhere and go buy it. You had to get in the wagon, the station wagon, you had to get a checkbook, and you had to go find a music store. You'd you'd go look for like a warehouse. Where? The warehouse for the Phoenix locals. You had to go find a Zia Records. Some of you were like risky and you got online uh, at the time or you got some some type of like a a book and you went through Columbia House and you bought nine CDs for a penny and you still owe them right now. (laughs) My first first album was uh, fantastic. Def Leppard right here in front of me. The album that I had at first was called Hysteria. 
probably their best one, I don't know, Hysteria. And on this album was a song called Pour Some Sugar On Me. (laughs) You heard this? Such a good song. I'm eight years old. I'm listening to this album. I'm like, I love sugar. Who doesn't love sugar? I'm a kid, like pour some sugar on me. This is great. I found out later that song is not talking about sugar, right? (laughs) But this is what you do. You'd go and you'd get something at the music store and you'd find yourself a cassette tape. And then you'd go home and you'd find your boombox. And you'd get your boombox and maybe you plugged it in because you were lame or you walked around with it and you filled this thing with D batteries, which cost $50 and lasts about five minutes worth of your time. And then this is what we do. In order to replace the old, you remove, you remove the old and you replace it with new. And then some of you were cool and you'd put this on your shoulder and you'd walk it. Some of you break dancers out there. This, this is causing deafness too. This is not a good idea. And you would you'd carry these around, and this would be how you listen to your music. But I want to get really practical with you. I want to talk about how we replace broken soundtracks. I don't just want to talk about the, the ideology of it. I want, to, I want to get down to how we do it. I want to start with this, is that first, we put truth on repeat. We put truth on repeat. It's how we replace our broken soundtracks. What do you you mean by that? How do you do that? Well, Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives us a list of things to think about, that we should be thinking about. How do we know we're supposed to be thinking about those things? Paul says this, you should think about these things. That's the context clue, okay? That's the hint. We should be thinking about things like this. And then he gives a list of all of these types of things, whatever is lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Like, let these be the filters for your soundtracks. And if they don't find themselves fitting here, it's probably not good. But he starts this list out with what? What's true? Why? I don't know. I'll speculate. Perhaps the reason why he says what is true is because what is often what we think about is what is almost true and kind of true, has the potential to being true. We love drama, we love fiction, and quite frankly, we just don't love the truth. So how do we do this then? How do we put truth on repeat? This is what we do. We take our Bible. You can have a digital Bible if you'd like, but they still make these too. These are called, these are called paper Bibles. You can buy them in stores and stuff. <laughs> and have them out there. You take your Bible and you read this every day. You take your Bible and before your work email, before CNN and Fox and X and Snap and Instagram and YouTube and whatever else that you're filling your mind with, before you get to those things, you start with God's word. You begin to read and let it enter your brain and marinate in your heart and start to meditate on it so that it becomes your identity. It's how you replace a broken soundtrack, as you put it with truth, and you start teaching yourself this. Practically speaking, how we can do this, sometimes this is a hard habit to build. It's a hard habit to build because there's a lot going on. Perhaps what you do is if you have a, a phone that wakes you up, set that right on top of your phone so that you, you read this before you get to your phone. Or if you're coffee um, consumers, 
You put this and lean in in front of your coffee pot, or you put this on your steering wheel. It's scripture first, so that this can start to narrate for us our soundtrack, who we are, how we see the world, how we see God. We let this inform us first. You're going to be informed by something, y'all. Your mind's going to be prepped and primed with something. Why not first truth? Secondly, we're going to speak declarations over yourself. You're going to speak declarations over yourself. Uh, I, I wrote maybe eight of these belief statements. These are statements of, of belief that I want to be like this. I'm not always like this. I want to be like this. And I, in my office, I stand up every day and I read it out loud, hoping nobody's around. And I'm trying to coach myself into who I want to be. And when I first heard about this and when I first started this, it sounded very self-helpy. Okay, Saturday Night Live used to have this character like decades ago called Stuart Smalley. And I remember like watching Stuart Smalley and he's this, this counselor character, but he doesn't have any credentials for doing this. And he's wearing a Cosby sweater and like stares in a mirror. If you've not seen this before, this will jog your memory. And he says, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Doggone it. People like me. You've heard it. I felt like that was a little bit of what was going on here. But hang with me. Isn't it possible that what was going on there has more value? I think maybe Stuart was onto something. Uh, psychologists call this feedback hypothesis. This is this idea that what you speak, you actually are much more likely to live out. If you hear yourself saying something, you're much more likely to behave like that. So we speak declarations over ourselves. This is how we build a soundtrack. Furthermore, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is battling in the desert. He's fasting and it's 40 days and he's hungry. And Satan begins to, to tempt him, if you remember this. And he tempts him how? With scripture. But how does he use scripture? Speaks it. There is power in what we speak. We have to speak truth. So let me, let me share with you, this is how I build these declarations. Um, you could build it however you'd like, but this is my exercise. I take a broken soundtrack, I mix it with truth, and then I create a new soundtrack. I take my broken soundtrack, one that I started from the top, God is disappointed with me, and then I take truth. First John 3, 1 is one that I read every day. I love it. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be children of God. That is what we are. And then I morphed this, this statement that I say out loud. God never sees me as inadequate. He loves me completely. Nothing I do today can earn his love or prove my worth. Jesus is enough for me, and I'm enough for Jesus. And you start to say those statements and say that truth out loud until you start to live like it and believe it. Here's one more. I don't have what it takes to make it. Uh, uh, failure is right around the corner for me. But the word says this, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And so I say this to myself, no fear will hold me back from living God's call for my life. The unknown ahead will not rob my joy, uh, sink my faith, or derail God's plans for me. And I say adventure is always more fun than the unexpected. These are the types of things that we do to 
replace a broken soundtrack and put a new one in our minds. Lastly, to replace a broken soundtrack, we sing our way out of stuck. To sing your way out of stuck. Have you ever felt stuck before? Felt stuck like the way you view your parenting is just, you don't know what you're doing and there's no way it's working and your, your kids are all kinds of screwed up because of you and you ever feel stuck when it comes to God and thinking, I don't know where he is and I don't feel his love and I don't feel his peace and I don't feel his forgiveness I don't feel his mercy over my life, and I'm just not sure what to do with that. You ever find yourself stuck? Well, I know that some of you, when you hear this idea of singing your way out of stuck, like, um, you start to gag a little bit. Like, that, that sounds awful. I don't like to sing. Singing's a little soft, you know? It's for the artists. It's for the people on the stage. They're good at it. They're professional. Leave it to them. I don't like to sing. I would not have been far away from that years ago. And then I just started a different habit because I knew how important singing songs to Jesus were. And furthermore, I think it's interesting that if you were to open the Bible, you take this and you just like go to halfway through, you're going to find 150 chapters all dedicated to what? Songs. 150 chapters, and it's the most of any book in the Bible dedicated to singing? That sounds crazy. Who'd write that? Well, it just so happens that one of the most prolific writers of the Psalms is King David. The warrior, like bear killer, lion killer, giant killer, that guy. He writes these songs. He just doesn't write them, though. He sings them. He sings them to Jesus because sometimes he's stuck. And you can read him being stuck. He uses words like, I'm in a pit, stuck in the mire. Check this out. Psalm 59, but I will sing your strength in the morning. I will sing sing of your love for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. How do we sing our way out of stuck? Let me... Like suggest some things when it comes to how we do this, much like when it comes to truth, much like when it comes to declarations, how we sing our way out of stuck is that every day, every day, before NPR, before sports talk, is asking a lot, before your podcast, before Morgan Wallen and Taylor Swift playlists, You start by singing songs about Jesus. You put together a playlist, CCV Music's got good stuff, there's a little plug for you. But you start your day singing words about Jesus, why? Because you're trying to undo the nonsense around, and you're trying to identify who you are with Christ. We're trying to become like Jesus. But to center our day, starting with the word, starting with the declaration, starting with these songs and singing them. And I know some of you are thinking right now, not me. I don't like to sing. I got a terrible voice, and you might. I don't know the lyrics for things, and I just kind of get lost. And, you know, those sound like broken soundtracks to me. 
but, but imagine, like, what's the reason why we're singing these songs? We're, we're trying to align our heart. We're trying to learn how to love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. And if you don't learn how to love God from the emotional standpoint, it may not be, may not be for you songs. That's fine. I suspect for a lot of us, we're scared to do this because of how vulnerable singing feels when we give our heart to Jesus. I'd imagine if we started to sing songs, imagine this, imagine that Jesus was in this room when we start worship, when we start singing songs. I'd find myself pretty embarrassed at times because this would be like when I'm really going after it, like when worship's really happening, you're gonna see my toe start tapping like that. I'm like, okay. And then when I, man, when it's like a song I love, you see a little head nod going on to you. Jesus were in front of us, that's not how I would worship. Maybe that's not how you'd worship either. You, you would hear it, there'd be passion, there'd be energy that would come from us. We'd be a church that's different if that were the case. But for so many of us, and I don't wanna pick on, I don't wanna pick on us, but for most guys, this is a challenge. And let me just challenge you. What if you sang? What if you started working on it at home so that nobody can like, tell that you don't normally know what you're doing or in your car and you begin listening to songs so that when you show up at church, you can sing because you now know the songs and you've been working on it and it still sounds terrible, but we don't care because we're hearing you sing from your heart. Imagine if your family saw you sing. Imagine if for some of you, you were the worship leader in your household. Yeah, my dad's always singing. Stinks. But I love it love the way it sounds. For a lot of us, we just need that challenge. It's how we, it's how we replace these broken soundtracks. Going back to number one, we, we start out by putting truth on repeat. We put truth on repeat. We put truth on repeat. We speak declarations over ourselves. We start speaking the truth and hearing what it is that God says about us. And then lastly, we sing our way out of stuck. We start singing to Jesus. We're gonna sing a song together, one more. And I just wanna challenge our church to sing with energy and sing with passion and actually sing. Like, we're, like sound comes out of our mouth. And do that because like if Jesus were here, fun fact, he is present and with us and ready to receive our praise It'd be a different level of it'd be a different level of energy, but let's start singing our way uh, out of the funk we're in, and let's start singing to Jesus so loudly because He is the King of our soundtracks.